Once upon a time, two men decided if they were making the cut. And then they made the cut. And now JT and Aaron are talking everything from wrestling to pop culture and beyond. Because it's no holds barred. Will you back down, turn and run? Or stand up with the best? No hold board. I fucked up no my shoulder. Fucked it up. Don't fucked it up. Ah, I went skating and like, so I took one of my kids skating in the morning because he kept, so his hockey practice got canceled. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, my fault, my fault. It got canceled. Well, we told him it got canceled, sure. but I fucked it. Actually, it's my wife. So I'm, I'm going to say it. It's her fault. Um, but um, so we get to the arena and his practice was like the day before or some shit like that. And so I was like, look, tomorrow morning, I'll take you to play. So I take him to play. It's great. My other son feels completely left out because the other the one I took to play wanted it to be just him and me, which is fine. Mm-hmm. So then when late last night when I got home, I got home at around 830 and I was like, come on, let's go play him and me. And it was too warm. So the ice was shit. Right. And like it was just, I mean, like you're cutting really into the ice and right. I fell and I don't usually fall. Like I'm, I mean, I, you know, most weeks I'm skating like, I don't know, 30 hours a week. <laughs> like, so I, I do a pretty good job not falling, but I just caught something and I fell right on my face and shoulder. You're a disaster. I know it's, it's bad. And you're I, a, I, like demolition. <laughs> you're a walking disaster. Well, you know what the crazy thing is, is that I started the year like, I started the year like, okay, I'm going to make some changes. And I did. And I was working out every day. I was doing mm-hmm. push-ups. I was counting them. Like it was going really well. And then I fucking sneezed and it destroyed my head. Now, is that still a problem? Uh, it hurts still. So like for the listeners, uh, uh, apparently when I sneezed, I dislodged something in my salivary gland. And that's causing intense pain to a side of my face. How violent of a sneeze was this? I don't know. Like I have violence. I've had violent sneezes forever. Yeah. See, well, this is the problem. You're a violent sneezer and it came back to bite you in the ass. That whatever's <laughs> dislodged has probably been on the verge of dislodging with every stupid violent sneeze you do. I was terrified. I was having a stroke. That's what I was terrified of. This is your body's way of telling you sneeze like a normal human. How do you do that? If it's uh, how do you control your sneezes? What are you going to work on manning me? Yeah, pal. Here's the problem is that if I block, here's the thing. If I block the sneeze, my ears pop. Right. Well, I'm saying block it. Let the sneeze out. It's like doing Kegels. <laughs> you got to work on kind of control down there. But I don't have a pussy. Your nose. You, you fucked you fuck someone's nose before? <laughs> Some big nostrils out there. A giant nostril. Well, I could probably do it. I'm very small. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, listen. If I were you, I'd stop sneezing so violently before you I do would, have a stroke. I would love to. If I if if a sneeze kills me, it feels like that's a great metaphor for how my life has been the last year and a half or so. It's been a disaster. You really have been. It's a, every day is a new calamity. It's I like know. whatever record today. Well, <laughs> then it's like it's six voice messages explaining whatever calamity you got going on. Well, it's because I feel awful. Like I genuinely feel awful that we put aside time and like. And then I get hurt and like, I feel awful at home too, because like, 
like today, like I, I, you know, I'm helping one of my sons with the science experiment and I can't fucking lift my arm. Right. <laughs> and like, my wife is like, okay, I'll do it. And I'm like, okay, she's like, go relax. But I feel awful because yeah. something's happened. Like you need every to invest two- in like a robot to help. Like the Rocky Four robot? Yes, yes. They just get stuff, lift stuff. But you look, you just had a bad run. I had one too. I tore my Achilles, then I hurt my back, then you know, then I had those headaches. Like it's you just get you're on one of those runs. You need you need to just turn it around. You'll turn. Do you around. think? Do you think we're uh, we both have the old? <sighs> I mean, maybe we caught I, it. <clears throat> see, my problem is I I hurt my back because I pushed it too hard at rehab one day. <clears throat> and I literally pulled from my below my hamstring to my lower back. Oh no. It was completely like tight. And it was so bad that even if I had to clear my throat or cough and you like, you know, you kind of like, you don't realize how much you use those muscles until you're using them and you realize yeah. it. So every cough, my whole back would tense up and tighten. Um, it hurt to stand. It hurt to sit. It was like brutal. And I finally just worked through it like a PT, but, um, so yeah, I guess maybe, but a what, lot of uh, that what side was that on the entire both? Cause like, that sounds like a sciatic nerve. Like that's what I had. No, this was literally, I think I pulled, I just like pulled everything. Uh. So I, I, I pushed it a PT. I did like the elliptical and I shouldn't have basically when I was rehabbing my foot. So I think I just like, wasn't used to doing it as I hadn't done it in a while. And I just went too hard. And I just like pulled everything like from it was literally from right above my knees to my lower back on both legs. Can you imagine how long our preamble is going to be for our podcast in 30 years? Yeah. Well, hey, one, of us, today, this, this good one of us is dead. So today I uh, fell down the stairs again. <laughs> again. <laughs> we're, st- we're still covering rumble guys. <laughs> Do you know how carefully I've been walking on ice? Oh, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Like I am so ginger on that ice or snow, anything potentially slippery. I am like, I do not need to get injured again. Like I am. The problem I'm having now is when I feel a sneeze coming, my whole body tenses. Right. And that makes it worse because that's how you pull stuff. Yeah. You know what I need? Chuck Knobloch with these sneezes. You're just going to let it rip. I need a, I need a, I need like a good car accident to just kind of like. Reset your body. Fuck my body up once and for all, and then I can I can spend a couple months healing. Right, just reset the whole thing. Like you know, if I could if I could get like a like a week long coma, right, with no brain damage. Yeah, just get some sleep. How about this? Would you trade a little bit of brain damage to sleep for a week straight? <laughs> Maybe. 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 Depends how much and what kind of cognitive issues it brings on. Like if I just forgot things every now, I forget things now. And I'm I was like, say, yeah, you're pretty much a mess anyway. I couldn't find like, my keys the other night. I lost my mind. What's happening to me? <sighs> well, listen, we're here to talk wrestling. So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> wrestling with my health. <laughs> <sighs> All right. It's once a month we do this. We are going through every WWF, WWE world heavyweight title change. In history, we are rating them on a scale that you'll tell us about in a minute, and then we're building a composite ranking between the two of us to ultimately rank every world title change in in the company history. We have done 20 of them so far, and we're going to do three tonight. 
Uh, do you want to tell us about the categories that we ranked? Yeah, sure. So we're looking at this from a bit of a different lens. It's not just match quality, although mm-hmm. that is one of the categories. Our first category is match quality. But we're building a score out of 100. So what that means is we each give – we have five categories, and we each give a score out of 10, and that gives it gets us to 100. So the categories are match quality, uh, significance, the moment, how good the moment was, the build, and the aftermath. So you're not just getting, hey, this was the greatest title match of all time. You're getting kind of a uh, a more well-rounded look at what the title change meant uh, and how it affected the company going forward. Mm-hmm. And we got some interesting ones tonight. Uh, we do. So we last left off. Ric Flair had defeated Randy Savage to win back his title. That's right. And Ric Flair had claimed the crown of our best title change. Yes, he did with the 1992 Royal Rumble. So we're still in 92. This is a pretty busy year for them. Uh, I guess actually we had two straight busy years. 91 was very busy as well. The 92 were on our fourth and final title change. And again, on a house show. It's it's so weird because you're right. 91 was busy, but everything happened on a high profile stage. Right. And every pay-per-view, almost four out of the five had a title change. Right. Uh, in 92, our first two are on major pay-per-views, but now we've had one on primetime and it was ostensibly a, a house show and they just like aired it on primetime. And then this match never aired. I don't believe on television. I think they showed clips of it and then it later aired on Coliseum home video, smack em, whack em. And that's Bret Hart versus Ric Flair from October 12th, 1992 in this is how I learned about this city. Saskatoon was <laughs> sorry, this title change. I, and I, I remember turning on superstars and be like, what? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, who? How? <laughs> it was so bizarre. One of the most bizarre title changes ever. Because I don't think I knew of it in any way. Like, I don't think I was doing like the journal line thing yet. Like, I think it was literally just like I put it on and they're like, we have a new world champion, Brett Hebben Art. And it's like, yeah, I just took a minute to like adjust to how that sounded and if they had paused at all after we have a new wwf champion right. you would not have filled in brett the hitman heart in your mind no you would have thought either savage got it back or warrior yeah warrior think. came in and crushed mm-hmm. him or something yeah yeah so i mean I, look there's a lot of tales about this title change I, I i don't know if it's ever really been proven out right like there's the Tito Santana version where there was a list of guys and he was on it. Um, there's also the, you know, flair had the inner ear issue and he had to lose it because he, um, just was going to need a little time off and they couldn't trust him to work the house shows. Then there's a version that Vince wanted to make Brett the champion. And on this night, certain, you know, politicians run around and this was his chance to do it. Like there's mm-hmm. been all sorts of random tales out there. I don't remember the exact story from Brett's book, which, just, Oh, it's, I was about to bring it up. It's okay. that he shows up at the building or the day before or whatever. Right. I think it's the day before because he ends up flying his family out. So Vince calls him into his office and he's like, all right, pal, uh, I got to be honest with you. We just we just don't know what to do with you anymore. And like Brett in his books, like, great, I'm getting fired after like I put on that performance of Davey Boy I'm getting fired. Right. He goes, yeah, I guess we just don't know what to do with you anymore. Uh, so we're going to put the world title on you. So that's his version. And he, I think he knew a little bit in advance so he could fly his family in. Yeah, so like, I tend to believe that yeah. um, because his stuff generally seems pretty accurate. So, Well, and he never hides – I mean you could tell his book's accurate because he never hides the bad stuff. Right, right. He's like, no, no, I cheated on Julie nonstop. <laughs> right. 
yeah, there's there's a lot in there that makes it obvious. Uh, so I would I would assume that's probably the accurate story of all this. Uh, what he doesn't know though, or really reveal, is the why. Like they didn't mm. just up and decide to make Brett champion. So to me, that version tends to lend some credence to potentially being Vince just wanted to do it, and this was his chance to do it. Right. Right, right. I wonder who was fighting against Brett if Vince wanted to do it. Right. Was it that no good Rene Goulet? That bitch. Hey, we no, don't he's, like Calgary. Uh, he's Canadian, so he may may be okay with it. Yeah, but he's yeah. French Canadian, and there's a there's a there's a long standing rivalry between, especially Albertans. Well, I don't know about Albertans, but Quebec and the rest of Canada. But especially Quebecers hate Western Canada. Jerks. Do you think like there was a pro Hogan component or something like that? He may be coming back. Uh, yeah, probably. And there was also probably a, well, he's not Hogan. Right. He's not Warrior and he's not Savage. Yeah, I'm curious what made them just decide to do it. Just, it's a a weird random decision that goes against everything they had ever really done. I mean, I guess one thing we hadn't talked about is, you know, it is a babyface champion company. They had never really had a long-term heel champion until the, the next year. Uh, yeah. and like the longest is what Billy Graham and even his was pretty short. I think it's like a little under a year. It's like yeah. nine months. Right. So there's that. And then they're also like in the middle of the steroid stuff. Mm. So maybe it's them just wanting to get the belt on a face. And there's really nobody else at that level, which would make you think, why didn't they just keep it on savage? But even he was under the microscope a little bit during that stuff. And other than that, it's warrior who you're not going to put it on. You know, Bulldog's your IC champion, but not for much longer. And even he's juiced up. So really, who else was there for top faces? Undertaker, I guess you could have went with. But I think they saw him more as like a special attraction by that point. And he had already had the belt, you know, the year before. So it might have just been literally like, we need to get the our top title on a dude that doesn't scream, I'm juiced. But you'd think they could have waited another month. Right. And put it on pay-per-view. I, that's just or it, because if you look past Brett, like who else could it have been realistically? No one. Yeah. I mean, again, it's either Savage. Uh, I mean, Ramon was too new. Maybe perfect. Yeah, but I don't know if they even knew he was coming back yet because Warrior yeah. wasn't fired yet. He he would have been the option, probably. I, I, I wonder if you, you know, put a lie detector on him. Like if you tell Vince, hey. If Perfect's coming back in a month, would he have just done Perfect Flair, you know? Yeah. I'm curious, like, because, like, if you want a guy who doesn't represent the steroids, Ric Flair's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I just wonder if it's the heel, heel. thing. You know what yeah. I mean? And and maybe, like, I think it might be a, usually it's like a confluence of these things, right? So it could have been that Flair was banged up, that maybe he did have the ear thing going on, and they were skittish at having him on the road, and they didn't know how long it was going to last. Because just because he is back within weeks doesn't mean they knew he was going to be back within weeks right like it could have been like oh shit like this might be a while it's vertigo right or whatever and then it cleared up and they weren't expecting it to clear up that quick is that the inspiration for the u2 song yeah it was about Ric flair you know this is we talked about this on now entering the royal rumble which drops every other monday mm-hmm. um where it's like this is like where they run into problems that they kind of didn't go with sid as a main face right because this is where he would pick it up probably no, but even he would have been flushed out because of the steroid stuff. Yeah, he's not a natural body, Sid? Mm, I mean, maybe, but he doesn't look it, so. 
That's the problem. So I'm trying. So Flair was subbed against on TV a bunch, on like TV tapings and house shows in late '92. Yeah. Like a bunch. So I think there's a chance he really was effed up. Right. Yeah, he's getting subbed for all over the place. The whole he was supposed to have like a whole series of Warrior, and he subbed out. DiBiase took his place. What a what a you go to see Warrior and Flair, and you get Warrior DiBiase, <laughs> like. And I'm sure it's fine, but it's like we've seen this match a million times. So he has that match in. All right. So he fights Brett in L.A. on the 10th. And then he fights Brett again in Alberta. And then he loses to Brett in Saskatoon. That's actually a superstar's taping. (laughs) And then he's subbed for for a while after. Well, it's funny, eh? Like, it's funny that you're saying he's he loses to Brett and he play, he fights Brett because Brett in his book goes on and on about how much he hates working with Flair. Right. And like, well, Flair, I wonder if they were. My guess is they were just setting him up maybe for a, um, like the Canadian run as contender. Right. Yeah, he fights him in L.A., but then they're in Canada, so maybe they were just like pairing them up for that little run and not like a long term run because it looks like he's really supposed to fight Warrior the whole fall. Because then they do Warrior Nails 40-second matches to replace them in November. Warrior pins Nails in 40 seconds. <laughs> now, do, does does Brett, does Flair ever get a rematch against Brett? I don't, uh, yeah, just that one. No, no, I don't I don't see one. So he's back in November, and he's feuding with Savage on the house shows. Yeah. And then he fights the Tonka to taping. So he's, he's out for about a good month, a little over a month. So this must be the match, because, like, it's interesting because Brett in his book talks about working with Flair and how Flair has to call the match and he thinks the matches are bad and terrible and this and that. And then there's a match where Brett is – it must be this one if he doesn't have rematches where Brett's like, I'm the champion now. I'm calling the match. Right. And Flair just kind of – well, in Brett's book, Flair sits down and goes, all right, champ, you do that <laughs> kind of thing. Like, So yeah. I, I guess this is it. And I'm, I'm wondering if Flair would have called this match if it would have been better. Yeah, it's it's long. Um, I wonder if they knew they weren't going to be televising it because they don't work it like it's a TV match at all. Like it's no, very it's a much a house show slash home video type of match for sure because it's long and it's out of nowhere. Um, and you got Gorilla Monsoon and Lord Al on commentary. Are you disappointed that Bobby's not on commentary right away? Yeah, I'm guessing though. So Smack 'em Whack 'em, I think, comes out in '93. So. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing they just, yeah, actually, well, Bobby still would have been there. I don't know why. Yeah, I guess they just, yeah, that comes out in 93. Whatever reason, they put Gorilla and Al on there. And they're effusive on Brett. So, obviously, this is in post when they knew he was going to win. Because they're really, like, pushing him hard um, in retrospect. And there's a lot of ground and pound and feeling out. Slow, grinding. Um, Brett's kind of setting the template. Lord Al says, Bret Hart doesn't smile, sneer, or snort. Mm. Some high level uh, analysis from Lord Al. No, it's uh, alliteration as well. He takes some shots to the legs, but mainly works the head and the arm. And the crowd is into it, obviously, in sure. Canada. Uh, but Brett's in full control and he's methodical because he's trying to ensure like no mistakes. This is his big chance. So he kind of works through holds. Flair takes over a little bit, but Brett throws him back outside. He's kind of feeling himself. Uh, it's around that point we get the full Flair ass with the mooning. Yep, the moon. And Al so, calls it a heavenly planet. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, the co- it's funny you bring that up because the commentary is so strange Like the, mm-hmm. at the start of this match. Lord Al's like, I wonder what it would be like if Brett and Mr. Perfect fought. It's like, we saw that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's very much a Coliseum Home Video production. Like, yeah. a loose commentary that doesn't, you could tell, is not in the moment. Um, because even in the end, like, which you'll get to, like, they don't ramp up. And, like, they're not, like, fired up for it or anything. You know, they're fine, but it's not. You did it. Yeah, you can just tell it's not in the moment. Like, yeah. and it does hurt it a bit, for sure. So they, they also, for some reason, I guess this must have been an inside joke. They fucking bury Mean Gene early. Right. Like, he's nice to your face, and then he has a big knife for your back. I'm like, what am I watching here? Yeah, and I think he was still around. I don't think Smack on Mike came out that late in 93. No, and Flair at the beginning, too, is doing so much screaming on his cells. Yes. It's like Mike Sharp's in the building, and he's trying to impress him. Or again, he's just, yeah. Kind of, a, I mean, it wasn't a house show. It was a TV taping, but it clearly was meant to be a dark match. Uh, so Brett gets an awesome flurry after the the bare ass, yeah. and then Flair goes back into control and works the arm, and then we get the tough Brett strut and bump as always. Flair goes to the knee, and we're kind of on from there. But then Brett comes right back again. He gets a figure four that gets a pop, uh, and Flair hangs on for a while and escapes. And, and by this point, I was kind of digging the structure, like. There's been no long control and no real heat. It's just like once it got cooking, it was just a ton of back and forth. And they kept weaving all their stuff in and out. I struggled with the first 10 minutes. Yeah. The first 10 minutes, there's just a lot of arm work. And I got pretty bored watching the arm work. And 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 like I remember very distinctly in the mid 90s struggling watching Bret Hart matches. Because right. I was a kid, right? Like I was like I, I I like it a lot more now, right? But this is exactly the Bret Hart I had trouble getting into in the mid nineties. It slow, always took methodical. him a little bit to yeah ramp up. Like it took him a good six to seven minutes for a lot of his matches to get going. Yeah. Uh, obviously, like we said too, you get all the usual Coliseum video jokes. The camera number five, who's that cameraman? You know, come on, Kerwin. Like all that usual nonsense that they talk about in these yeah. videos where they're killing time or even like some of the msgs like you'll see is like a lot of gorilla and alice making like inside jokes and stuff to kill time uh flair breaks a sleeper with a nice bump and then we kind of pick up business from there flair intensifies but brett keeps finding ways to come back flair does get the figure four and the crowd kind of seems resigned they kind of feel like that's it but yeah. brett brett escapes and and you know, screaming too in it like yeah it's it, not, it looked like that might be it yeah it's not and you're not used to brett hart selling that way Right. Yeah, he's uh, he's hurting, but he does escape. But Flair keeps control. Then Brett mounts his comeback. He kind of goes through his usual offense. The crowd start to stir a little bit. Gorilla asks, uh, "Why isn't Brett going for the sharpshooter yet?" And then we get a weird moment. And this has been a weird moment to me since the minute I saw this match in 1993. And my cousin Matt and I would always like joke about it. There's this weird spot where Flair kind of freezes in the corner. And Al is like, he's stuck. And Gorilla says his hip has popped out. And then they just pick up and keep going. Like, it's so random. I, I don't, did you see this or notice this? No, but no. It's so, you got to like go back almost just to watch this like two minute span in here. It's, it's right kind of toward the end, right before Brett hits the superplex. Like Flair and Brett are in the corner and I think he's chopping them or they're doing something. Well, and Flair just kind of stops. Is this where Brett takes the strap down? It may be. Because it may have been that they missed Y and because maybe Flair was like selling like shock or whatever. Yeah. Because he takes – because Flair chops Brett a bunch and then Brett kind of like takes his straps down and it's like give me more. Like almost like Sting would do, you know? Right. 
I mean, I don't believe Brett doing it. Same way Sting, I guess. <laughs> right. Just not because Brett sucks, just because like it's just a, such a different character. <laughs> so I mean, it could have been. I don't remember exactly what Brett was doing, but it wouldn't shock me if it was then and Flair was selling it. But the way they shot it made it look like it's just weird. It's just it almost like it's like he freezes. But then Al like calls it out specifically. And he literally says, like, he's stuck. He's not moving. And then Gorilla says his hip popped out and he couldn't move. He's buffering. It's, it's, it's odd. It's a real odd moment. Um, Brett, then the, the superplex is awesome. And then he finishes him with the sharpshooter. And, uh, you know, despite I thought they did a really good tease with perfect interfering, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. And this is a massive upset. Um, you know, it's a huge moment. It's out of nowhere. The crowd is into it. It's a well I thought it was a well-developed match and easy flow to it. It was really like a true professional wrestling match. Like that's that's the best way to explain it. I think is just they yeah. worked a match at built, escalated, and crested, and that was it. Um, just two of them working through sequences that made sense. We had a, a pretty hot finish, and I thought it was good stuff overall. Um, it was just a fun. Like I know it was boring early, but once they got cranking, I thought they really worked into something pretty good, and it's a big moment, obviously. Yeah, I also love how Brett sells. So, like, when he goes to put the sharpshooter on, he pumps his fist. Yes. You're like, oh, that's cool. That's different. And I love that when he wins, he acts surprised. Right. So like, many, even he's like, oh, shit, I finally did it. Yeah. I, I thought that was really – that was a really nice touch. And a lot of guys don't – I hate when someone wins the title and they don't act like it's a big deal. Right. Like, I'll never forget the first night Triple H – and we'll get to it. The first night Triple H won the belt. Mm-hmm. Like, and you, everybody should be familiar with my stance on him, but the way he, he reacted was just so good. Like right. he was like, oh my God, I'm the champion. He's, he's, like he's this badass heel and he's mm-hmm. jumping up and down, you know, like right. I, I love that. And I loved it here too. Uh, I thought it was a really nice touch. I, so I liked most of the match. I just felt they probably could have told it in a bit more of a concise package. Right. It was, but again, I, I, but I think we need to, again, just keep in mind what the match intent was like, it was just a special match for that night. Yeah. In a house show setting. Like, so I, I tried to just look at it a little differently that they weren't, this really potentially wasn't for like mainstream consumption. So yeah. it wasn't like closing out a big pay-per-view where they need to like really go at it. It just, it just wasn't that it was, Hey guys, you got 30 minutes to go out there and tell a story and Brett wins the title. <laughs> that's, that's all it was, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I see that. I just to me, that's going to affect the match quality. Sure. Right. Like, just, I, I think it's like, the, yeah, I, I, I mean, think it's like the closest we have to like the original title changes we talked about. Yes. I just think that like, instead of 27 minutes, you probably could have told the same story in 20. Right. Like, it's just that little bit longer. But I mean, it's a small complaint. Um, but I did enjoy the match for the most part. I had never seen it. I never watched Smack and Whack'em. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen this. So I was this is the first time I've ever seen this match. So it's not like also I was jaded by like multiple viewings. Like this was okay. This was completely fresh to me. Um, right. it's, in terms of match quality, I went a five. So it's like, like I just said, like I liked it, but I just found it was a bit too long. Yeah, I went a little longer, a uh, little longer, a little longer, yeah. Longer still? A, l- a little higher. I went six out of ten. Um, so not not too far off from you. I, no. I really enjoyed it. I just, I kind of liked the, I guess his basic structure. Like, I kind of respected them for not going, like, over the top and trying to blow it. It just, you just don't get many of these, especially in this project, where it's just, like, a wrestling match. And that's all it was. It was a classic goal of wrestling match. 
Yeah. Um, I do think it's quite significant though, because it's a, this is a major shift. Yes. Right. Uh, they're not only are they making a new star with this, this, um, with this match itself, but he's a smaller guy. And they're also seem to be moving towards, I mean, it doesn't last, I don't think that long, but they're moving towards quote unquote, real wrestling. Right. With Bret Hart. So I'm at a six for significance. I think it's, it's a, it's a pretty big step for, for them. Yeah, no, me too. Plus, I mean, it establishes Brett as a main event star, um, as a working man's champion who's going to defend the title. That's what his whole first reign is about, right? Defends against anyone and everyone constantly on TV. Like, we hadn't had a champion on TV defending the belt, really, in a long time. And he's on superstars fighting all kinds of guys on Saturday's main event. So <clears throat> they really pushed that attitude of it. And yes, it was a big shift for the company to go young, to go small, um, and to really just like all of a sudden give a guy on the come up a big moment. And it's just such an interesting approach that they took. And it's one that they do throughout the year. So it, again, it stands out as odd. Um, the IC, you know, Brett was part of the first house show title change at the beginning of the year when he right. loses to the Mountie. Right. And then the tag title switched twice this title, the primetime match, which is ostensibly a house show change. Like it's just so odd. Like that, that they did that many title changes off TV and I guess maybe they're trying to reestablish house shows with sagging attendance is part of it, I'm sure. Um, and it's like it could even change hands in Saskatoon. Right, right. Anywhere. And then, well, and even the other tag title changes, I can't, I think it was a Phantom one, but whatever, the LOD and Money Inc. But right. like uh, basically it was a house show, whether it was real or not. So um, that was three tag title changes on, on off TV, an IC title change, and two world title changes, basically. I know, again, I know they aired the prime time, but it was after the fact, so. Yeah. Like, they they say Savage is lost before they show the match. So, to me, that's that's not a live TV title change. No, it was a house show they filmed, and yeah. now we're going to show you the footage kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, like, the the thought of going to a house show at that point and seeing a title, like, as it, I was 12 here. So, even then, I knew when I went to see house shows that I wasn't getting a title right. change, ever. Right. So, there's probably some validity in that strategy. Yeah, to do six of them in a year. I mean, <laughs> would definitely speak to it for sure. Well, and when when that's your at the time too, that's their business model. Yeah, because there's no raw yet. Saturday's main event is only two, um, yeah. so that's kind of gone. So it's really like you either change the title on one of the four pay per views or superstars. Like that's pretty much it. Yeah, they're not going to do it on superstars. Uh, but yeah, like, but but even then, like their business model at the time, like their business model now is to sell networks or Peacock subscriptions, right? Right. Their business model then was a house show model. Correct. It was like, okay, we make our money by getting people to come out to all these. Mm -hmm. That's why we do three shows a day sometimes, right? right. Yep. Uh, and so if you need, it, it makes sense to try to entice people in that building. I, and I'm sure they made money on the pay-per-views mm -hmm. and, and their TV deals and whatnot, but it seems like their bread and butter was their touring show. Um, I thought this moment, too, was really cool. And I think it's really interesting that it got to happen in Canada. Like, and it's a surprise. And it seemed really meaningful to Brett. Mm -hmm. um, I went a six for the moment. I thought the moment was really good. Like, and and it's so, you know, it's so rare. I, I don't think there'd been a Canadian world champion at this point. So this uh, was like. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I mean, there'd been a, there'd been a fucking Russian, but not a Canadian. No, um, <laughs> right. Uh, but this was, I mean, that's a big thing like up here, like, like, you know, I remember in the late nineties, um, when Bret Hart was going on this show called off the record mm -hmm. 
And like, and then uh, Michael Landsberg, the host, would interview Vince, and he'd be like, you know, Brett's a Canadian hero up here. I wouldn't go that far, but like, there is something true in that. Like, there was a pride that like, there's always a pride with Canadians where someone succeeds somewhere else. Right. Like it mattered that Jim Carrey was Canadian. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we got one in there. And so it's similar to this. So I think th that all kind of lends itself to this moment happening where it does and when it does. So I'm a yeah. six for right. so I'm a little blow at a five. I, I think what heard it for me just slightly is like the commentary is not super excited. It feels like almost in a weird way, I feel like a relic. Um and it shouldn't have, but I, I mean, it was a year later, I guess, when they released this and you're watching it, but it felt like almost when they would show old title matches with like Gene or um, someone like years later looking back and talking about it. You know what I mean? It almost yeah, like, felt that way to me. So it, it did take a little bit of the the moment away. I, I think they did enough title changes in 92 to sell the house show concept. I think this should have been on Superstars if they weren't going to do it at Survivor Series. Like, I don't, it was at a Superstars taping. Um, right. So just do it and air it that week, you know, like, why not? And then cut the match in length, but make it a big deal. And like, all of a sudden you sell your syndicated show too, which is also, by the way, a TV taping you're trying to lure people to. Right. Yeah, so, that's fair. I was watching a, a, the Shea Stadium match from 1980 the other day, and the commentators are Mick Foley and Michael Cole. Right. That's a, right. It's like that. It's like, it feels like yeah. that. Kind of. yeah. um, but that said, it's still a big moment for Brett in Canada. Um, he seems generally emotional and Flair puts him over clean. So, I mean, yes, it's, it's a great moment. Just not top of the line. Flair, of course, is wearing red. Yes, naturally. Um, there's no build. I'm at a one. Yeah, same. I mean, the only build you could say is Brett working his way up the ladder. If you want to explain the point instead of zero, you know? Well, yeah, but I, okay. So this is a bigger question. Mm -hmm. Was Brett ready? I think so. Because even that second icy total rain, felt below him a bit. Yeah, I felt I that way at the time. Like the 91 rain felt like it was perfectly in his wheelhouse. When he wins it back at eight, by the time he gets to SummerSlam, it almost feels like he's bigger than that belt. And they closed yeah. the show. So I know that was bulldog driven, but he had just made evented the second biggest show of the year as a, as a title holder. I think it's just interesting to the era because there's, I find there's a lot of guys that seem above the intercontinental. Mm -hmm. Like a guy like Hacksaw Jim Duggan always seemed above that title, even though he wasn't the world title. And the model at the time was that like only special guys got to mm -hmm. be world champion. Right. So it's it's like I don't Bret Hart at the time didn't scream special guy. No, right? but I think they were always building to that. Do you think they were always building to world title or do you think when they were originally building him, they were building him to be uh, the intercontinental stalwart? I no, I think they had plans to make him a top level guy. I, I I don't know. Like that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me based on their other choices, right? Like cuz he's not a savage, he's not a hogan, he's not a warrior, and those are the only people they put the belt on at the time who weren't heels. Maybe if he was a heel. Yeah, I don't know. I think like, they had plans for him to be like a long-term star that could be a world champion level threat or at least a contender. Yeah, maybe a contender. Like like in the like in the same way they push like a Jake. Yeah, or perfect, you know, on the heel side, but something like that. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Um that being said, for the aftermath, um, I'm at a five. 
Um, I, I thought it was a good reign. Um, I thought it was a, a good, interesting reign. He had the fighting champion thing. I just feel that in his reign, he never felt like the real main event of the company for me. Right. Yeah, I I think five sums it up. I think it, it establishes him. It gives that working man's champion. And he does main event to Mania. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, he, he does a lot yeah. in the aftermath. Sort of. Well, he is. I mean, it's, it's the main event. You know, and he gives he gets that slot. He feels like a big deal by that time. Like, it doesn't feel weird to see it. But at the same time, yes, they're not committing to him yet. At the end of the day, it's really just laying the seeds for him to later be the guy. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, we'll get to it when we talk about him uh, in 94. But but when he wins it there, it feels like he's the guy. Correct. As opposed to here, it feels like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> yeah. So I think the truth is between our the conversation we just had and this one. Is somewhere in the middle. Like, yeah, he yeah. probably didn't feel it, but they do a good job of using this rain to legitimize him. And, you know, we've talked about guys like JBL and others that they they went too quick into the world title chain mm. rain, right? Yeah. Um, but here with him, it you know, it doesn't feel that way. And it's not like an Orton or JBL where they rushed the title on before they were ready. This feels like maybe they did, but they actually take advantage of it and build him into a world champion as champion. Right. Which they don't do a lot of. And isn't always the easiest thing to do. Yeah. I mean, he also had such goodwill built up with the fans forever. So. Right. All right. Well, that uh, was it surprising. <laughs> uh, I would say it's the most surprising one we've had outside of maybe chic backland. Right. Right. And yeah. maybe slaughter. Yeah. But it's almost like this, the heels, the heels tend to be like, they get a bit more of these surprising ones because they're all transitionary guys. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Uh, but all in all, it was actually, I really liked watching this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you and I are the same at this point in our wrestling watching, like, there's comfort stuff, but I'm actually more into seeing a lot of stuff I haven't seen. Yes. Uh, but but with guys I like. Not I'm not saying like I'm gonna venture out at this point to like really dig into a ton of stuff, but like I, that's why I'm really enjoying watching ECW right for that podcast or, um, you know, Chad and I get back in wrestling war zone like watching. When do some those of that. podcasts uh, drop? By the way. Well, both on Thursdays, amazingly enough, every other Thursday, you get Extreme Through a Dance with myself, Souza, and Jenny going through the history of ECW or Wrestling Warzone with myself and Chad going through the wrestling uh, Monday Night Wars. It's too bad that this is not a match that's going to come up on Chronoso. What is Chronoso? I've heard of it. Well, every single day, a different uh, North-South Connection podcaster breaks down one match for you. And we've decided that we're going to basically take it from WrestleMania 1 mm -hmm. and take you through all the high-profile matches that either happen on pay-per-view, Saturday night's main event, or some sort of bizarre super card like the big event or WrestleFest or something like that. Yep. So it's it's a short little pod blast, 10, 15 minutes tops. I'm I'm always going too long, which is stupid. But mm -hmm. um, 10, 15 minutes tops, and we just kind of break down the match, tell you what's happening, uh, what's going on. It gives you a little taste of all the different hosts and uh, a look back at an era that North-South really hasn't covered that much. Uh, it's true, and it's been really fun listening to these so far. It, everyone has done a great job. Everyone's taken it seriously uh, and really you know, puts a lot of effort into making them both unique and sta a standard format at the same time, which has been neat. Yeah, it's really like cool. Like, every day feels like it's the same, 
concept, but everyone's take on it is like slightly different. That makes it feel different every day. Yeah. And look, if you hate listening to me, I don't know why you're listening to this, but if you hate listening to me, then you only got me for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can just move on with your day and curse me after you take your shit in the morning. That's it. And just forget about him. Yeah. But if you do like listening to me, you can also catch a JT and I on now entering the Royal Rumble every other Monday where we're breaking down every single Royal Rumble entrant and their entrances into the Royal Rumble. <laughs> performances i would say performances there we go uh we've been through about uh i think we've done like 70 guys at this point yeah so. yeah it's a, it's it's the most frustratingly fun thing we do <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's got its ups and its downs but i think in the end i i like doing it we've done 75 guys uh yeah so we're moving along Moving along, moving along. Uh, but that's what's going on on Mondays and Thursdays uh, on the North South Connection and every day on the North South Connection. Oh, podcast. Tuesdays real quick. Tuesdays, though, we yeah. got Ruthless Aggressive podcast every other Tuesday. Yes. With Jake and a rotating panel of guests. And he's inching close right around uh, 2003 right now. So uh, into. So it's a lot of fun. He's actually into a second calendar year and he has hit every week of TV and pay-per-view. He's since... going to be doing the greatest WrestleMania of all time soon. Uh, that too. Yes. Number one. Yeah. So it'll be funny here and get to that. Cause it'll be the first meeting he's done because the project started right after WrestleMania 18. Right. And it shows you how long it takes to get through this because I mean, he started that podcast pretty much when the speed started, yeah. which, you know, right now is what two full years ago. We're into year three and he started then. And he, I think he's only missed one, um, one rotation. So every other week he's pretty much hit. And he started right after us made 18 and he's just into 03. So Jeez, what a stalwart that guy is. He's our, he's our Bret Hart. <laughs> he's our, <laughs> uh, and then every other Tuesday, generally like there's some gaps in there, of course, but uh, TNA never dies. That's me and Jenny going through NWA TNA. Yeah. And we are also in 2003. We're in the spring of 03. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Lots of stuff going on. And we'll tell you a bit more as we go through this, the rest of the matches tonight. All right, so let's fast forward to – oh, we didn't give our total, did we? Yeah, 46. Okay, 46. All right, let's fast forward to April of 1993 in Las Vegas, Caesars Palace. Nevada. Uh, Brett the Hitman Hat taking on Yokozuna, defending his title. Yokozuna had won the Royal Rumble, had been a monster since debuting in the fall, had that great squash of Virgil at Survivor Series, and Virgil gives a dire warning. And then Yoko just mashes his way through TV – around the country, comes into the Rumble as an odds-on favorite, has a great performance, still <laughs> here on now entering the Rumble, and heads in here as looking like, uh, I would say, the favorite to win the world title coming in. I mean... Well, they're talking him up on commentary. It's like this is the first time a challenger's been the favorite. They're, that's a big right. talking point for the the commentators. So you, it almost feels like they're saying it so much that it's going to go the other way, right? It almost feels like maybe they're talking Yoko up so much and they never end Mania with a heel winning. They had never done it. So are they really just talking him up so much to have Brett conquer him and use it to further Brett's development? Right. I wish they would have. Um, I wish they would have. <laughs> yeah, I can see a world where it works well to have Yoko win here and Brett win it back at like King of the Ring. Maybe. It's kind I of mean, a best of both worlds. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I think the best scenario is this is not Yokozuna fighting Brett here. Right. Would you have continued to build Yoko or you just don't want to see him at all? 
Um, I think you build him as a monster. Maybe you bring him down the road. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. To me, it seems like Brett Savage. Brett Savage is probably the way to go here. Or mm-hmm. I mean, my, my contention with 93 has always been that um, Brett should be the champion until SummerSlam where he loses to Luger. Right. But like, I would much rather Luger in the Yoko role. The problem is that Hogan stuff really messes with our heads, as we'll see in a minute. Like, yeah. if he never comes back, I think they probably just commit to Brett and let him win here, is my guess. Um, they're not going to do Brett Savage pass the torch if Brett's not your plan for champion. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Once, I guess th- once they got Hogan in the fold, they were like, okay, well, thanks, Brett. <laughs> but do you think they – but do you think – yeah, yeah, thanks, bud. Uh, the real star is back. Do you think they had um, – do you think they had Luger in mind already as a face or is it like when Hogan leaves or like, fuck, what do we do? I think it's more that because I, they were setting up Brett Luger. I mean, he knocks him out at the brunch and all that. He goes over perfect to mania. Like I, I think they were setting up and they fight on the house shows in the, in the spring. So, right. Yeah. I think Brett Luger was going to be the feud for the world title, probably coming out of mania. If, well, I mean, no, Yoko is probably always going to win, I'm guessing, even without Hogan. I, I I do think that. So I think Brett Luger was always planned as a feud. And then at some point they were planning Hogan-Brett at SummerSlam. So this is a lot of moving pieces. Well, that but that's it. But like if if, if the plan going in is Yoko to beat Brett here, right? Regard, with no Hogan in mind. Like who does Yoko fight at, at SummerSlam then? Maybe it's just, like I said, Brett regaining. Or does or do? But we the thing build... is, don't, don't forget though they had. I don't know how long the plan was for Yoko to win. And I don't know when they decided yeah. to get Hogan back because Hogan's back in early February. That's right. So it's not that much longer after the Rumble that Hogan's back. So that might have always been the plan. Right. Get the belt back on Hogan. Hogan will stay. Maybe it was. Brett. Yeah. And then we solidify Brett. Maybe. Yeah. But that didn't work for him, brother. Sure doesn't. This um, is also the first year that the Rumble winner gets the shot. Yep. Which I think is good. And right away, when you look at this match in the ring, there's all the geishas mm-hmm. with Yokozuna. One of the geishas is clearly a white girl wearing more white face. Which I didn't even notice. Yeah. Like, it's like, wait a minute. You couldn't get one more Japanese girl? Right. I'm sure they were around. The So it, it's a great setting, of course. Uh, it just and looks really cool. Uh, it's it's a classic big versus little type of match. Yoko's heel presence is strong. Uh, Bobby big... is on fire at the start for Brett. Like, he's, oh, yeah. Number one, he accuses Brett of trying to buy fans by giving him <laughs> the glasses. And then he says, Helen had 11 in her first litter. Yes. It's great. Such Helen. a disgusting comment. Uh, big pop for Brett when he comes out. JR, it's his first show on commentary, notes that Brett got knocked out by Luger at the big breakfast that morning. Uh, Savage is all team Brett here. He's like super into him gives him his respect and it talks about his legacy and his ability. And the respect thing was like big around this time for Brett. They do the Aretha Franklin video on the March of WrestleMania. And that was like a big selling point was that Brett wasn't getting the respect that yes, he felt like an underdog um, despite being such a fighting champion and not having given any reason to think he could lose. Right. So that's a big part of the story. We get a fast start. Brett wants to prove it. He's all over Yoko. Pepper. I love it. That first drop kick, like he runs and drop kicks into start. And I'm like this, this is like such a smart way to start mm-hmm. this match. I love the intensity to start because you get the impression he feels he needs to use his speed, but it's also much different than any other Bret Hart match I'd seen to this point. 
Yeah, he's not going to ease in because Yoko's just going to overpower him. So he's got to stick and move. And his biggest chance is like maybe a lucky quick knockout, right? Like kick on the face and pin him, yeah, catch and, him off guard. And he tries to wrestle him early too. Like he tries to get a waist lock and Yoko just kind of rolls him off. Yeah. I think it's just the, the beginning of this match is really interesting. Like that, the Brett's intensity, but also selling the idea that if, if Yoko hits him once, it's a big problem for Brett. Correct. And Yoko does use the size and power. He's countering a lot. It's like you said, it's a smart start with uh, working into both guys' strengths. It's clear. It's direct. It's obvious. I, I love the bit where Brett ties Yoko's leg in the rope and well, he, he trips baits, him. He baits him. Like he mm-hmm. goes out of the ring and he baits him into kicking him. Yep. And then he traps his leg between the ropes. Yeah. And then when he's trapped in the ropes, Brett kicks the shit out of him. Yeah. He hits a great slingshot, big splash on him. Yeah. And then just hammers away. Yoko comes back with his power offense and, you know, that combined with Brett selling and the snap effect that Yoko has, like, it just looks great. And the crowd is biting on all these big spots. They're like almost in awe of them. Well, when, when Yoko drops the leg on Brett, the crowd gasps. It's and I feel like a, that's good. Sorry. It, well, I was going to say, it's not a cheer boo. It's like, a, <gasps> like, Oh, well, like that's Brett. such an underrated part of Yoko. And, you know, I think we see it at the rumble too, in his performance. I think it's forgotten just how much of a spectacle feel he had about him because he was so big and he moved the way he did. Yeah. All of that offense seemed so devastating. And it was like a, oh my God, like Brett's dead feel to it. And every one of those, the Samoan drop, the leg drop, the belly to belly, like all of those feel like a spectacle stuff. Like you were watching this giant mammoth athlete just mash this tiny little guy <laughs> to pieces. Um, and it's, it's not just this match. It's like a feel that exists with all of Yoko stuff in this stretch. Oh yes. He's, he's very good. <laughs> like, he doesn't get enough credit for being a smart worker and he uses his size so well. What I don't like is he gets that nerve hold in. Yeah. And yeah. it's a, it's called an oriental nerve hold by yeah, Jim sure. Ross. The uh, Jared does compare Yoko to Sadhara O, which I, because a champion, I guess. I don't know. Um, but he's so good. At, he just smothers and grinds. But yes, he does hook in the nerve hold. Um, Brett gets a cool middle rope bulldog out of desperation. Well, and I, then it's yeah. And this is where Brett turns it around because mm-hmm. you can see like he's like, oh, my God, this is my moment. This, right. Like, the, the, all of his work, like all of his all of his stuff gets much more urgent here, which I love because I yes. love seeing when guys change gears in a match based on the circumstances of the match. Yep. Yep. You can see him feeling like he's got a shot to find a seam and maybe win. The there's also an interesting note here. J.R. mentions Hogan and the Hulkamaniacs are watching this match closely. Ah, so a little seed planted um, at the time. You're probably thinking like, well, yeah, Hogan would probably challenge the winner. And Hogan had it, it in the rematch promo. Yes. He challenges the winner <laughs> yeah. in his own racist way uh, to fight the winner at uh, King of the Ring. Why did basically. he use a slur to describe the Canadian? Right. I know. Because, <laughs> like, why is it only the Japanese that are the evil what about invader? That evil sled dog bitch, Bret Hart. <laughs> Fuck, we hate when you. That's our word. Sled dog bitch. You don't <laughs> use that against us. So Brett fights off that nerve hold and he gets creative. He's going through his closing offense, but he's doing it kind of differently. Like everything's altered. Um, The crowd's feeling it though. He's ripping through Yoko, but Yoko never seems rattled. Like even at this point where Brett's going through his big spots, Yoko is like calm still. Um, He's just bullying through it. Then Yoko hits the exposed buckle. And now like things get real. Like Brett gets a sharpshooter, which again, 
was a big talking point leading into this match. Yeah, could, could he get it on him, right? Yes, his legs are too big. He's too big of a guy. There's no way. But Yoko gets knocked out when he's on his belly. So Brett's able to grapevine the legs and hook it. And now it's like, oh, shit. And Yoko is not anywhere near the ropes because Brett's against the ropes. So now it's feeling like, all right, well, he's got his finisher. Yoko's out. Like, do we get kind of a pass out finish? Maybe, maybe Yoko doesn't submit, but he's out from getting knocked out and Brett wins the match. Could this be it? And then Fuji gets on the apron, throws a salt and Yoko covers and the crowd is pissed. pissed. And they're not happy at all. <laughs> But I thought this was really fun. I mean, it's such a good balance. Brett is so crisp in the offense and is selling. Yoko's poise, staying calm and focused through everything, plus the big power offense. The finish protected Brett. They gave him a legit bitch, you know, for a rematch, which was great. Like, so he doesn't get sold out in this. He has a clear complaint to say, I had this guy beat. And Fuji tossed toss assault. So this is a claim he can carry with him. Yeah. Um, and it didn't overstay its welcome either. What's it like? 10 or 12 minutes, I think at the most. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect length. Yes. For these two. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. It's, it's a real fun match. It's, I think WrestleMania nine is so maligned mm-hmm. that like you kind of forget that this is a really good match. <sighs> WrestleMania nine is such a weird show. Like I hate to be the guy that's always like, Oh, this bad stuff's not that bad, but it's, it's but, fine because it's, it's just not that long. It's a, it's an easy watch, which is our thing. Right. And that match is under nine minutes. It's just nine minutes. Yeah. The only long match on the show is the opener. It goes 18 to talk a show on, and that's fine. And the second, uh, and then the money ink matches is, is right with it. But, and that's the, the stinker. It's more of a like booking decision in the moment mania bad to me. It's all the fuck finishes. Like right. every match has some kind of fuck finish almost. Like Michaels right. gets counted out. Um, uh, you know, the Steiner brothers win. Doink comes out of the ring. That's a fuck finish, although I think it's creative. Mm-hmm. Ramon, like, that's just a shit match, right? But it's right. so quick. Money Inc., there's the whole Jimmy Hart shit. Uh, Luger cheats to beat perfect. Undertaker gets choked out with chloroform. Like, there's no match that ends properly. Well, and they're missing that one great match, right? Like, that's yeah. the problem. Um, Luger perfect under delivers. That's the killer. That and Tatanka Sean not, like, really getting going. Those two are the ones they needed to save, really save the show. And then everyone was just so anti-Hogan <laughs> that that finish also kind of drags the show. But See, if you had to tell me again, like, and I feel like we always use this comp, but like, you know, all right, WrestleMania 9 or WrestleMania 32? All right, 9. Right, you're watching 9. You well, know, just, it's but, like, but there's also so many intangibles with 9. Correct. Like, it, it, like match to match, I'd still rather watch it than 32. But like there's I mean, it, it looks so different. The commentary is good. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's got tons of nostalgia. Like I'd put nine like I'd rather watch nine than two. Yes. Yep. You know, or maybe probably even more more rather than one. Yeah. Like so I'd probably rather watch it than eleven. I know you're big on eleven, but like I, uh yeah, but I would it's always to me those are like one of the closest comps, nine and eleven. Um right. Just never forget, but it's one of the, it's one of the closest comps because it both to me have the roster to have put on an improved presentation of each of those shows. Um, and neither just, they both just miss, you know? Yeah. Like if they just do Brett Savage here, this is a totally different show probably. Right. Cause that won't, that will deliver. So who does Yoko fight? 
Um, probably squashes somebody. Yeah. Like, which is fine. You know, like he's in the. I mean, I'd be I'd be fine in a world where um, here in my world. Um, Hogan fights Yoko. Instead of the money ink. And what do you do? Stein or the Steiner. Uh, or nasties. Yeah. Well, either one. Either one's gonna be better than what we got. Right. Uh yeah, I, I, I would do that. And then I guess Tatanka's the choice against Michaels. Janetti's probably a better match, but you just did it at the Rumble. Well, that was gonna be the match, but then he got fired. <laughs> so, right. I mean, yeah, that's but just wait wait to fire him. <laughs> yeah. Like, put I think him out there in a, in a cage and like, wait to fire him. I don't think they cared enough, and I think they thought Tatanka was hot enough. Yeah, but but then again, by not having him win, it hurts, mm-hmm. right? Not that I need Tatanka as Intercontinental Champion. That Sean's ninety three is weird. It feels like he should lose every one of those matches, but you can make an argument why he doesn't. Yeah, and ultimately, it's probably the right choice. Well, Janetti, you could see why he should have lost at the Rumble. You could argue. You could argue you could have lost here to Tatanka. You could argue you could have lost to Crush at King of the Ring. You could argue you could have lost to Perfect at SummerSlam. <laughs> that's like they're the, all like options, you know. That's probably the weakest one. Crush or Perfect? Because the weakest match or weakest argument? Um, I don't think it's the weakest match. I think it's the weakest argument. Right. Because like Perfect should probably at that point be used to legitimize Sean. Right. Whereas Crush was a little, as crazy as it sounds, Crush was an up and coming character. Right. Um. But yeah, this match, um, Bret Hart and Yoko, like, you know, if you've never seen it, if you've avoided the show, I, you know, I would throw with this on because it's really interesting. Um, I'm at a six for the match. Uh, me too. So I actually have it on par with the last two that we've covered. Right. Um, they all feel like sixes in their own little way. Right. I like, I have it a smidge above Brett and Flair. And I think the, what you mentioned about the time is exactly why. Right. Correct. Yes. Um, in terms of significance, I'm at a four. Like I'm, I'm torn on this because I'd probably have it a bit higher if not for what is it we're about to talk about. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I had it as a four as well. It's, I mean, it's significant because it establishes Yoko. It's the first time a heel looked like he was going to close Mania with the title. Um, it, it also does lead to what's about to come. So it is significant as a transitional. Yeah. But it, it, it could have had more weight if they would have just left him as champion. Correct. Despite all my talk about not wanting him to be that guy. like Right. If he just wins here and has a little run with it, yeah. Of course. Because if he wins here, I don't think he holds it till Mania 10. So I think it does alter at some point. Mm. Yeah. I don't think they go the full year with him. I wonder. Maybe. Because it's only another three months, right? Right. Um, as for the moment, I'm at a four. I think the moment's really good. Like, I, I like, I, I think that the shock is really good. The way they, they kind of present Yoko in terms of like, as a monster is really good. And I think it does a great job at like showing Brett, like we talked about it, protected him the whole way. So I'm at a four for the moment. Uh, yep. Four for me as well. Oh yeah. Nope. Three. About the same. I mean, it's a cool yeah. moment. It just gets pissed on right away. Yeah, that's it. Uh, the build is good, though. I like that Yoko wins the Rumble. Brett's the fighting champion. Mm-hmm. It's not a classic build. It's just two guys, the champion and the guy who earned his shot. But I think it's handled well. Yeah, and they do the contract signing where Yoko beats him up and all that. The respect video. Like, yeah, there's a lot of nuance in there, too. Yeah. And they do Yoko Savage on that. On the, I think it's on the March to Mania. 
is like part of this too. Is like Savage is trying to take him out and fight Brett, which is part of the story. Right. Right. Um, I'm at a zero for aftermath. So I gave it a three, um, just because it does lead to like a big title change right after. It also sets up Brett to have like a year of having a claim to the world title, but it's like kicks off this year long journey back to it. So it's the aftermath of his loss more than the win, setting him up to have this year long story that pays off a year later um, and the climb back to the top. And it also sets up Yoko to chase to get eventually back to his title reign as well. Yeah, I suppose. I just I feel that like what they do after is so egregious in terms Mm. of a decision. Um, And we'll talk about it in a minute. So we'll get there. Um, That gives us a score of 38. Okay, on the lower end of our stuff. Yeah, lower end. I mean, we'll, we'll recap it at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, never at the lower end is uh, is uh, never ever at the lower end is uh, you know what that means? The AEW mm-hmm. podcast with Jordan Duncan and Andrew Reich. Yes, every other Friday, do do a great job, and that rotates with WWE War every other Friday. Myself and Marcus Fuller yep. doing a uh, plus minus system style breakdown of every WWF WWE pay per view season including a look at every single pay-per-view. So wrapped up 2011, 2012 recently, going to be into season three. So a lot of cool stuff uh, going on with that show. It's a lot of fun to do. Yeah, it's a great listen. It's an easy listen. And you guys are, you guys are killing it every time you're out there. Um, also, uh, Johnny C bringing it with the multiverse of fabulousness. Mm-hmm. Where he's casting all kinds of different projects as wrestlers the most recent one i listened to was the suicide squad recast as wrestlers mm-hmm. um it's a trip it's a trip into uh into a bit of insanity but it's a fun little trip uh you can also catch johnny on wcw must die often with ryan gray ryan gray killing it with the wwe um when they have a big event he does a preview show for it mm-hmm. i think he does a tremendous job setting it up and if you like the WWE shows or any major event, um, viewer's choice after every single one breaks it down, tells you what you w- should watch, what you shouldn't watch, and really ends up saving you a lot of time and energy. Sure does. Uh, also, a lot of time and energy poured into this chronological rewatch of Beverly Hills now to 2 0. Myself, Tim Capel, and rotating guests, uh, usually every two to three Fridays, drops at night, and we are uh, moving our way through season one. So, we're really proud of the progress we've made on that show. It's a lot of fun reliving it and. Uh, just, you know, all the people that kind of pop up out of the woodwork that were not a two and O fans uh, showing up there. So it was funny because we had uh, my wife's best friend and her, I guess, newish boyfriend. They've been dating almost a year. We're over the other night and uh, it just like it was like mentioned. And he's like, oh, I love now and I'm growing up and started telling about it. He's like, oh, what's the link? I'm going to listen to it right away. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's just, again, out of the woodwork for people that grew up in that era and were big now to and fans. Uh, also on Saturdays, once a month from Squared Circle, the Silver Screen, Silver Screen, Silver Screen, that, that is uh, the Cowboy and Crossland. They break down movies either featuring wrestlers or about wrestling. They've done some really cool ones of late, and that's uh, pretty consistent once a month. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, they're doing a great job with that. And Second Print Comics every single Sunday on North mm-hmm. South since the beginning. Mark Claire, Remso Martinez, breaking down your favorite comic stories, some obscure comic stories, but always a super quality listen every single Sunday on our network. Yeah. And then just a shout out, because I feel like we never mentioned it, but this week in the NFL, those guys hit every oh, yeah. single week 
uh, this this past season, and that even meant sometimes D'Amato going solo when everyone else was away, Hey-o. just not to break the streak. So uh, we'll see if they sometimes, you know, they, they do plan sometimes on doing, like, off-football season episodes, and we'll see mm-hmm. if that happens. But, uh, you know, kudos to them for hitting every single week of the football season this year, bringing a quick hit content recap preview type show. Yeah. Lots of fun stuff. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, subscribe to the network, and uh, thank you for all the continued support. Yes, we love it. All right, one more to go. Back to WrestleMania 9. So as soon as Yoko wins this title, Hogan's out there. Like he is, it's like he was standing here ringside. That's how quick he's out there. He's under the ring. (laughs) We get no, we get no time for Yoko to enjoy his moment. Uh, Hogan's out. He's pissing, moaning about what happened. He's in his formal wear. Yes, yes. He's got the long pants and the little tank top. And he walks Brett to the back, and they're kind but of. But he talking. puts he puts his penis way too close to his face at first. Well, like Brett's kind of keeled over, and Hulk is right in there with that fucking hog. I mean, he's trying to make him feel better. Yeah. I guess is that the way? Is that yeah. the way? An orange yeah, penis in your face? You think it's orange? You think he goes full nude in the tanning bed? Yeah, yeah, I think. Well, have you seen the sex tape? Is what does it look like there? It's kind of grainy. Yeah, you can't really tell if he's got a tan line or not. It's also not peak Hogan. No, it's it's old, broken yeah, down, flaccid Hogan. It's uh, my back is I've lost six vertebrae. Oh, we <laughs> got nothing left in my body, Hogan. <laughs> so as this is happening, Mr. Fuji makes the most questionable decision of a very questionable career when my, he says, "My Yakazuma issue," a ch-, like he says Yakazuma. Yes, which. Why does he call him that? That's not his name. Uh, he thinks it is. <laughs> so he issues an open like challenge to Hogan, basically. He's like, you know, my Yokozuna is undefeatable. Whatever. Like, you're yellow belly. Let's go. He'll if any intestinal fortitude. And I thought this was. I mean, obviously, it's stupid, but it's also like unearned. And nothing happens bad enough to make Fuji make such a stupid decision. Yeah, and put and put the belt on. Why is he putting the belt on the line? Right. Besides just hubris, I guess, and he's feeling the moment. But it's almost just too obvious. So, like, if Hogan at least like smacked Fuji or something, like, give us a reason to for Fuji and Yoka to get this mad at Hogan this quickly. Yeah. He doesn't really do anything to piss. He just comes out, yells for a minute, and checks on Brett. Yeah. And Brett, of course, is, okay, go get him, big guy. And Hogan doesn't right. think about it for more than a second. Right. Brett does the point. He's covering his eyes from the salt. Yeah. And, he, you, don't, you know, you don't blame Brett in this moment, right? He's so pissed at Yoko, and he'd rather see Hogan as champ, I guess, than Yoko. So he's pointing at it, uh, you know, and, and Hogan kind of looks to the crowd a little bit. And the Brett thing, I think, was shrewd from a booking standpoint, because you want to make sure like that we know Hogan isn't screwing over Brett. Right. So I think by having Brett give the stamp of approval yeah. takes the guilt out of it for the fans to not feel too bad. Right. They're like, okay, well even Brett's saying this, this should happen. Right. And then of course is history. Hogan comes in, <laughs> drops the leg, wins the title. Yeah, well, Fuji throws a saw. It goes in Yoko's eyes. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and in the moment, the crowd loves it. Like, they pop oh, yeah. huge. It's a big moment. And I, honestly, as a kid watching this live, I was still 
even though I liked flair and some heels, I was still pretty thoroughly like baby face, pro baby face, pro change. So when Hogan won, like I was definitely pretty excited Yep. Me to too. see him back and winning the title. Yeah. It, it's so it's, it's a moment that I think like, I, I mean, I just shit on it. Right. Cause I think in retrospect, it's bad for business. Very. Yes. But like, but when you look at it in a vacuum, it clearly worked. Yeah, I mean, it's a memorable moment. The crowd is pumped. It, it's a big pop. It is. It does feel, even in the moment, though, like diminishing Brett. Now, in a perfect world, Hogan stays active, beats Dioko with a rematch at King of the Ring in a full match, and then puts over Brett at SummerSlam. And then this story and this moment is way more palatable and works better. Yeah, I think it's fine. And maybe you have Hogan like start acting a little bit arrogant, right? In the build, like it all you're could... really doing, I guess, is sacrificing Yoko a bit. But um, you can rebuild him. You know, have him fight whoever at SummerSlam, and then maybe go into a feud with Taker until the fall, right? Just jump on Virgil's head a few more times, and <laughs> right, just squash that melon. We'll all be good. Um, I, Jim Ross, Hulk Hogan has won the title. That's all he says when he wins. And poor Hogan can barely open his eye. Yes, it's all jammed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was shocking. I mean, it, it was a, a step back. You know, a company, it felt like it had moved on from a bad breakup. And yeah. then, you know, the hot X shows up and you backslide and have, you know, they bang. And then it like, all right, let's start dating again. Um, yeah. It reset all the progress it made during its its rehab time. Uh, so it like it felt good in the moment and then you regret it as soon as you realize the main issue is still there. And and that's proven when Hogan just like vanishes with the title pretty much. And it is not on TV at all. Yeah. Does some house show stuff. So, yeah, you could send the crowd home happy, but you could have done that with Brett just retaining it and Hogan coming out and endorsing him if you wanted to. Right. Or just have Yoko close the show. Yeah. Or just have or, uh, Randy, Randy Savage win the Royal Rumble. <laughs> Or just have Hogan and Beefcake win the friggin' tag titles and close with that. Yeah. Like, you could have Yoko win in the middle and just have Hogan and Beefcake win, and that's your main event. Yeah. Yep. I don't want IRS in a main event, but it's probably more palatable. All right. So, match quality for this one. We're obviously going to differ here. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I'm at a five because five, but, but here's the thing. Five is like, it's fine. It's middling. And that's to me what a squash is. Yeah. But there's so much that goes into the squash to me. It's not, this isn't a squash meant to showcase a worker on like superstars to get over their um, arsenal and build up a guy. This is like a stupid travesty of booking. (laughs) So it's like, but it's that's not even a squash. It literally throws the salt and pins them. A but squash to me things. is like the Steiners murdering jobbers. Yeah, but to me, that's what all the other categories are here. Like, they're going to get dinged on all the other categories, right? Yeah, but it's so, not even a match. It's it's not even a match. But it's, it's not. Like, it's salt and a leg drop. It's not bad, though. Like It is. Well, that, that one second is bad? Like Yeah, I think so. Because at least do something if you're going to make this happen. It, like it's dumb that he does the, goes back to the salt and throws in his I just the whole thing is stupid. I agree it's stupid. I don't think it translates to a bad match though. That but that's just where we're gonna differ on it. It's bad. 
it's a bad moment. It's not a bad match. It's a bad Actually, I don't think it's a bad moment either, as we're going to get to. No, it's not a bad match. Um, so you're you're at A, sorry? One for this terrible match. Oh, I'm at a five, because we agreed that five was just not offensive. So I guess you find it very offensive. So you found this on par with Bret Hart and Ric Flair. Well, for different reasons. Because I thought Bret Hart and Ric Flair was, was um, veering on bad because of the length. Because to me... When you get to a four, you're you're looking at um, you're veering into bad territory. Right. And this veered way off into bad territory. I didn't have time to. So. <laughs> Look, I'm pro squash. Trust me. I just don't consider this a squash. Yeah, I guess I do. Yeah. All right. For significance, I'm at a two. Yeah, I went three. I mean, Hogan getting his fifth title reign. It kind of sets it continues to, you know, face always closing mania. And it's significant because it severely alters the course that the company's on. Yeah. So to me, it's almost as significant as Brett winning. Um, not as much, I would say, I've had in half, but like it, it's like a poor man's version of that because for all the talk we said about Brett reshaping the the way the company's going to be presented, yeah, then they reverse all that right here. Yeah, I would. I, yeah, I would say that like it's significant too in terms of like okay, they don't trust anybody but Hogan. Right. Yeah, we're just going back. It's almost like they pissed away everything they built up over the last six to seven months. Right. Right. Um, I, for the moment, I'm at a six because in like we just talked about, it was effective in the moment. Yeah, I went with a five. I mean, Hogan gets his fifth reign. The crowd's into it. It's like a memorable setting and picture. I remember the cover of the magazine with like Hogan on his knees with the title and everything. So yeah, the moment itself stands out. Yeah. Uh, zero build. <laughs> yep. And uh, I got one for aftermath. Uh, I give it a zero and I know we get the rematch, but to me it's a zero because Hogan's not even on TV. He just shows up at King of the Ring to get beat. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. So it's not even, there's nothing. Like, he literally just vanishes. And even Yoko doesn't do a ton between now and King of the Ring. Yeah, I threw it, I threw a one at it because I think ultimately it's probably more meaningful that Yokozuna beats Hogan than Brett. Right. So, but a one is still next to nothing. So that lands with a score of 23. So we'll see how that shakes down. So if we're looking at this, let's let's look at the ones that didn't, because up until this point, we've done 23 of these matches. Yes. Fuck, it's such a different beast than the Rumble Project. I know, right? Yeah, I was like, oh, we've done 200. And, <laughs> um, so sitting at 22 is, do you want to go through the whole list? Uh, yes, let's do yeah, it Let's all. go through the whole list. Okay, so if we start from number 23, the worst title change so far, Pedro Morales versus Stan Stasiak from 1973. And next is Hulk Hogan versus Yokozuna from WrestleMania 9. Yeah, and I, I like to think, too, that even if I had given the one for mm-hmm. um for match, it wouldn't have changed. They'd still be there. Right. But I would argue this is the actual worst because that Pedro Stasiak is when we had, like, no footage of, right? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very possible. So, I mean, it's po- that's probably better than this if, if we saw the footage, I guess. It might be. Wasn't it long? Yeah. So I mean, maybe not yeah. much better, but it's it's closer than it looks. I think. Yeah. All right. Number twenty-one. Hulk Hogan versus the Undertaker. Uh, that when the Undertaker wins at Survivor Series ninety-one. And then number twenty, Bruno Sammartino versus Stan Stasiak. 
twelve ten uh, seventy three house show that gets a thirty one score. Yeah, not a not a great showing for Stan Stasiak. At number nineteen, Bruno uh, versus Ivan Koloff, or Koloff wins in seventy one at a thirty two score. Okay, then Ultimate Warrior versus Sergeant Slaughter from the ninety one Rumble with a thirty four, which I, that seems low. I know we get some big stuff above it though. Yeah, but but you know it seems low, but thirty four percent because that's basically what that score represents, right? Really not yes. high. Uh, uh, 17, what we, we talked about tonight, Bret Hart, Yokozuna with a 38, uh, from WrestleMania nine. See, I would have thought that was going to be higher, but I think just all the aftermath and stuff killed it. Yeah. All right. Right above it. Pedro Morales versus Ivan Koloff, two, eight, 71 house show that has a 39. Yeah. And then one above that at 15, Randy Savage versus Ric Flair, where Flair wins the title back from primetime wrestling also at a 39, but we put it ahead of the other. It's, it's crazy to me that both of those are above Brett and Yoko. I know. But like by a point, yeah. but that's the system, right? So. All right. Number 14, Bruno San Martino versus superstar Billy Graham from 43077. That has 41 points. Number 13, Bob Backlund versus Billy Graham. That's where Backlund wins a title, 78 in February from MSG, uh, 43 points. All right, then with 44 points, Hogan versus Slaughter from WrestleMania 7. Yeah, 45 points at number 11, Hogan versus Undertaker from this Tuesday in Texas. That's really carried by the aftermath and all that stuff. Yeah. All right, uh, right above that, Bret Hart versus Ric Flair. So that actually finishes, you know, in the top half here for sure. So that's 46 points from Saskatoon. Yep. Saskatchewan, uh, number nine, Backlund versus the Iron Sheik, where the Iron Sheik wins the title at 49 points. And then Buddy Rogers is Bruno San Martino, 1963 with 51 points. Yeah, number seven, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, where the Warrior wins WrestleMania 6, 67 points. Tied with that, but we gave it the bump as Savage versus DiBiase at WrestleMania 4. Yeah, uh, number five, Hogan versus Savage, the Mega Powers Exploding, WrestleMania 5 at 69 points. <laughs> Then at number four with 72 points, Ric Flair versus Randy Savage from WrestleMania 8. Yeah. Uh, number three, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant from the main event with 75 points. Number two, Hulk Hogan versus The Iron Sheik with 76 points from 123.84. And the number one title change of all time, holding on strong, the 1992 Royal Rumble match where Flair wins, 78 points. Uh, not a giant gap, but um, we'll see if anything can uh, knock it off the perch. Okay. I, I think most of this feels right. Like I said, I, I feel like Brett, Brett Yoko feels a little low. Um, and then Warrior Slaughter is a little low. If, if I, I'm not saying they, they should be higher. I'm just saying like coming in, like this is you know kind of how I would have looked at it. Yeah. And maybe Brett Flair is a little higher than I would have expected it to be. Yeah, I would agree with all that. And Hogan Taker is a little bit higher, but again, that's carried by like all the importance leading into the Rumble. Yeah, for me, Hogan Warrior at seven is the bit of the shocker. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll see how it holds up. Yep. All right, so we'll be back in two weeks' time with the next installment of our GWWE list uh, breakdown series that we've been doing. So excited to, of course, revisit that. And then we'll be back at a month's time with our next batch of matches here. We will be covering just two. So we'll have Hulk Hogan, Yokozuna from King of the Ring 93, and then Bret Hart versus Yokozuna from WrestleMania 10. So we'll kind of cap off this little year-long odyssey uh, of the Bret Yoko Hogan triangle. Nice. Look at that. Dookie's been dropped. Good jackass. So we'll be